happy Wednesday, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Jory Myers, owner of Atlanta Dispatch, and I'm very excited to have our guest on stage right now. It's been a long while coming. You know, we were supposed to have this conversation uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, definitely happy to have you on, Lauren. How are you doing today? I'm great. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, ma'am. We can. We can All definitely right. hear you. Happy to be here. Thanks, Joy. This is. I'm so excited to be here. My oh, first yeah. real foray clubhouse experience. <laughs> well, you know, we pray that it's going to be one to remember for good things <laughs> and that uh, good reasons, right? And that you know, a lot of people get to learn about you, and uh, you know, they can use you as a resource in the future. So uh, without further ado, you know, do you mind giving, you know, just a, a brief background of who you are? And the reason why I'm asking this is because you've done a lot when it comes to maritime and maritime law. I mean, you're, we're going to talk about it, but just Lauren, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Well, well again, thank you so much for having me on. So I, I am um, a maritime attorney. Um by, by practice, by trade. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I'm from Michigan originally, so got into maritime incident or, or maybe I guess on upbringing, um, you know, the Great Lakes state. So I was sailing with my dad out on the lakes and thought it was pretty cool. Was going, I went to, to Hope College and was doing the whole political science. I don't know if I want to go to DC. Um, you know, was, was always kind of a, um, I, I don't know. I, I never really loved law, but something was driving me toward kind of like the law career. It was going to give me more options. So found this law school out in uh, Rhode Island called Roger Williams University School of Law, and they had a joint degree program with um, a master's of marine affairs. So I thought, well, that sounds cool. That's That has maritime written all over it. And at the time, you know, I was a senior in at Hope College, and I was on the sail team, and so I was just focused on sailing and how I can incorporate that into my future career. So went out to Roger Williams, found my way through a whole bunch of classes, you know, Law of the Sea, which is a kind of the international oceans area, and really kind of loved shipping and, and ocean transit. So, um, you know, found my way down to D.C., despite my best efforts, found my way down there, um, you know, and and started working for, um, actually, I, I, I ha took a contract job over at the State Department for a little bit doing um Arctic law and kind of extended continental shelf mapping and, um, you know, the project that they had for that, which was really cool, kind of, you know, mapping of the Arctic and the whole planting of the Russian flag and all that. Um, but but then, you know, I, I really found this, I found this position over at the Federal Maritime Commission. It was the international affairs attorney in the general counsel's office. And I was like, now that sounds cool. So I, I went and worked there for a while, um, had a great time, was just, you know, DC is a fun town to be young in, but you know, also working for the federal government is a really great opportunity to just dive in fully. You know, I mean, you're like fully diving in and, and learning everything there is to learn and given responsibility, you know, what real right away. So, um, you know, it, it was so fun. I was able to work with um, some really great international partners and um, sit in on some really high level maritime negotiations. And, you know, I, I was our, our maritime technical expert for the um, international side of things for um, you know, the FMC, when, when our politicals didn't want to or couldn't go or whatever, I was kind of the lead, I was the, the constant on the international front. So um, really cool experience, really got to see a lot. Um, but, you know, for family reasons, I, I wanted to move back up to New England. Um, I had gone to school out here. So uh, my, my now husband, his whole family's up here. So I thought, cool, let's, let's go up there. Was really fortunate to get a job at the Port of Boston. Um, and what a great experience that I had was being able to be in D.C., and having this kind of helicopter upbringing of, of um, you know, over overview of the whole industry, and then going up to Boston and really getting boots on the docks. And, it, you know, I kind of say, like, I probably did it backwards. I definitely should have had the experience of boots on the docks before I went into, like, the regulating the industry. But I, for me personally, it was, it was a great way of really kind of gut checking and, and learning, like, okay, so I know all these terms, I know all these regulations, but, like, what does that look like on the user experience? And so working at the port was perfect for that because, you know, I got to go down to the docks and be like, okay, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like for a crane to take a container off, a, off of a, um, a container ship here. 
Or what does a cruise ship look like when it pulls alongside? You know, like all of those things that are just, I mean, they're just so huge, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if it's coming through, but I have a passion for maritime. So I just, <laughs> so cool. Just, you know, I, if I was sitting at a desk, it was a bad day. If I was down at the docks and I was looking and observing and watching, that was like the best day of my life. <laughs> nice. And <laughs> how often did you get those days to, you know, be out there, be out? You know, I mean, I, I would carve it out. Like if it meant that I was taking my lunch break and I was going to go over and watch that ship come in, I, I was doing it, you know. So I was mm. trying to get down over to the dock. I mean, what, it was only a, a mile, half a mile, not even quarter mile down the way. So whether I was walking, driving my car, you know, whatever it was, I was getting down there. Um, <clears throat> but it was it was so fun. But, you know, COVID happened. Everybody, you know, everybody kind of got sent home and. You know, I, I miss the national conversation. I always, I really liked, you know, being at the docks and being able to see everything, but I miss that national conversation that I was formerly part of. And, you know, as the struggles with the supply chain started to really grow and, you know, everybody kind of found their way, found, you know, found everybody was kind of part of the the global COVID reshuffle. And so I was mm-hmm. part of that too. And, you know, so I, I started my own law firm. I started my own legal consulting company. Um, at first, it felt almost too official to call it a law firm. I mean, that's what it is. So it, I started Squall Strategies. So it it became, um, you know, kind of a way of reengaging in the in the national and actually in the international conversation of ocean shipping and answering questions that had to do with the Federal Maritime Commission, which is where I had worked, and really the regulatory body over the ocean industry. And so, you know, I thought that was so cool. And so, you know, that's been open for about a year now. It's been really fun just, you know, getting to dive into questions that people have, legal questions that people have about either their business or their shipping construct or can they do this or do do they need that license or what's going on with all these rulemakings. But, you know, I was finding that not everybody has a legal question. And so, you know, I am a maritime attorney, but that's, you know, I, I can also kind of talk about the industry generally. So I created a second company because I was like, you know, I, not everything's legal. So the second company is the Maritime Professor. And really, that's the non-legal discussion side of things. That's where I host on Fridays at 1 p.m. I host a, a LinkedIn Live or a live stream um, called By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain. And what I do is exactly that. You know, I try to break down the supply chain with the top news stories. I go over the top three stories of the week. And then I do about 20 minutes where I just kind of cover a random topic that I thought people might want to know a little bit more about. I've had a lot of experience in this world. So I thought in in this kind of maritime world. So I thought, you know, why why not just start sharing some of that? So that's what I've been doing. And and I'm I'm building e-learning content. So there's going to be courses available. Make sure to sign up for my email list so you know. I'm going to do a, a 101, the essential guide to ocean shipping. And, you know, just people are curious about it. And it's important to break down the silos between surface transport and ocean transport. So I am so sorry that was very long-winded, but that's yeah. a little snapshot of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so seamless. You know, uh, I'm, I'm very happy that you were able to share uh, and incorporate all the things that you got going on right now. You said a lot of great things that I definitely wanted to come back and you know, talk a little bit more about, but you know, it's, it's really, you said that you are passionate about maritime and I can tell, I can definitely <laughs> tell it's coming out in the way that you're speaking, but you know, even in just your history, you said that you grew up right next to Lake Michigan. So you had an opportunity to always be out on the water and you joined the sail team in college. What does that look like? You know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it was, it was a club sport, but you know, so, so as I was going through college and you know, you go home hours, I'm, I'm from Traverse city originally. So that's kind of a resort town anyways, and kind of a, you know, during the time you're like, ah, oh, it's such a boring town. And then when you leave it, you're like, oh, I wish I lived there still, <laughs> you know, but it, it was right on the water. And so I actually worked for a party catamaran. That was my summer job. Um, wow. It was so fun. And like, because I had worked, you know, because I was sailing on the sail team, these are small boats, you know, this was a big catamaran. I mean, it's uh oh gosh, what was it? 46 foot catamaran with a 32 foot beam. I used to know all the stats. Um, it was called the naughty <laughs> cat, the naughty, you know, naughty cat, N-A-U-T-I. Um, you know, a little tongue in cheek. It was kind of fun. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, we, we, uh, it was, it was actually where I got my, my experience. So not only sailing my dad, sailing in the sail team, sailing for the Nauticat, I was able to get enough experience on water that then I was able to get my captain's license. Right. So this is kind of a little street cred 
in the maritime <laughs> world. I haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't sailed the open ocean necessarily with it, but you know, I, I have sailed quite a few kind of, you know, we, we might rent a boat here and there, but I feel like it gives me a little street cred to say like, I know what I'm talking about because I've kind of been in it, you know, and not only do I know it theoretically, but like, I know the grit that it takes to sail a boat and, you know, stuff goes wrong real quick. And, and, you know, I think that you, you find that probably with the over the road truckers too. That's exactly what I just thought about. (laughs) Right. You're in the middle of nowhere and like, there's nobody to call. You just have to fix it. So like the gumption that you get from that moment, from that experience, it, it really sticks with you. And I, I, you know, I think that's why over the road truckers, I think that's why surface transport people are so passionate. I think that's why maritime people are so passionate because like there's this level of like, like won't quit, you know, like you just got to do it. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. You know, the job has to get done. So who's Mm going to do it? You, 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 you're going to pull your weight on the team and you're going to get it done. Um, But you, you saying that you're a captain, that definitely inspired the the name of this room or at least the (laughs) the flyer rather. I, I captain, my captain, because I thought it was awesome. You know, that is some (laughs) extreme street cred. Uh, for you to be a captain um, and working as a maritime lawyer and, you know, professor. So, um, no, that's... It's it's a theme, right? You got to stick to the theme. (laughs) Right, right, right. No doubt about it. You know, I just kind of figured if you like the the subject matter, if you like the the content, if you kind of go into the industry that you already have a passion for, you know, there's that whole adage of like, you know, if, if you like what you do, you never work a day in your life. I mean, look, I've worked some days in my life, but like, <laughs> it's pretty fun to like, you know, just like I said, just get to talk about boats all day in some form or fashion. Right. And you, you said something earlier uh, where, you know, just just speaking that jargon, you might have just rolled it off your tongue. But <laughs> because a lot of the folks in here are from the, the trucking world, what is FMC? What is that? Oh, Let's talk about I'm that. So sorry. Yeah. So the Federal Maritime Commission, I'm so sorry. So I worked there. The Federal Maritime Commission, it is the independent regulatory body of ocean shipping. So essentially, you know, their, their mission essentially is for the benefit of um, the movement of goods, the fair and efficient movement of goods for the U.S. consumer, importer, and exporter. So essentially, you know, there's there's plenty of agencies that kind of, you know, regulate the the internal, the land side, the domestic. But mm-hmm. this one regulates those vessels coming to our shores. And so, you know, they're, they're not like an international policeman. But if you want to do business on our shores, if you want to be bringing that, those goods in and out, you got to You got to know who the FMC is. So that's that's their role. You know, they're regulating the pricing. They're regulating the alliances that we've heard so much about, which is kind of the. Um, you know, the, so ocean carriers. So there's um, all the different companies that are out there. There's Maersk, there's MSC, there's Costco. You've probably heard of some of those. Right. Uh, so those Do you have any favorites? Uh, well, I don't know if I have favorites. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that they're they're all good and bad. There's good and bad to all. You know, I don't think that they're as evil as as some people purport, but I also don't think their hands are totally clean. You know, right. We're going to talk about that. All right. Like there's. There's some shady stuff going on, but like, are they all doing it? You know, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, so they're all kind of packing up, right? So that's, that's the alliances. And so the FMC is responsible for watching and maintaining that they don't become monopolistic. Um, you know, that's a very contentious thing that I think we'll probably talk about in a little bit, but like the alliance formation. So there's actually three different alliances and within there, all three of these alliances um, make up 80% of the market share, but each alliance in itself is only about 20 to 30% of the alliance share. So, uh, uh, or of the market share. So, I mean, really that they are competitive, um, you know, but I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those, it's a contentious thing. Okay. So look, one of those things that I just wanted to go ahead and jump into real quick, you know, since you did bring up the alliances and, you know, the market and, you know, possibly, a monopolistic approach Mm -hmm. in output. Um, So what was going on last year, you know, probably still out there when those steamships were just like, you know, soaring those prices on shipping containers. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that there was a premium and there was a huge demand on things, but, you know, didn't, didn't it kind of get to more of a, a monopolistic approach with the way they were setting prices? Yeah. So, I mean, this is where it gets kind of tough. So, all right. So we got the alliances and let's break Uh them down. So we have three different alliances. We got a 2M alliance, which is Maersk and the Mediterranean Shipping Company or MSC. We got the alliance or THE alliance, which is Hot Bike Lloyd, 
One, which is one ocean network express. Those are the pink ships. I don't I, I think that's so cool that they're all hot. Yeah. I, I like uh, them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I mean, like, like what a, what a non-typical color for a mundane thing. <laughs> but, right. Um, and that, so, okay. So the Alliance, we got hot bag, we got one, we got Hyundai Merchant Marine, we got Yang Ming. And then ocean Alliance is the third one. So that's Costco, that's CMA, CGM, and that's Evergreen line. So, you know, there's a lot of things that were that was happening right when COVID hit. So one, everybody got really freaked out. So they kind of bought everything. And then everybody was kind of sitting at home. So people thought, okay, it was going to drop off. There was going to be uncertainty in the market. There was going to be uncertainty and everybody getting fired. You staying home. Like, how's it going to work? Is there going to be discretionary spending? Turns out people were bored and online shopping is a real thing. I mean, oversimplification, obviously, but like, there was a lot of online shopping happening when everybody was stuck at home. And that was, I think, the X factor that nobody really knew. And so not the only reason, but like all of a sudden you went from slowing things down, trying to figure out, trying to manage so that we didn't get into this world of like too much capacity to now, holy cow, overnight you had zero capacity and these ships were filled up and you couldn't bring stuff fast enough. And add in that you were trying to get PPE in in the door. So, you know, we were trying to get masks. We were trying to get all this hospital equipment. And that was competing at the same time with all these people making these orders. And so that's what was, you know, all that was contributing to the just increased demand. I mean, it's supply and demand. It's basic econ. You know, I'm not an economist, but like, I guess I can kind of understand that. So, so things were starting to rise, you know. Um, You also had labor shortages because of platooning. So like, you know, you couldn't have, you had team A, team B, team C. And if team B went down, you know, with somebody got COVID at the beginning, remember, like, if you even had a hint of COVID, everybody kind of shut down just to keep everybody safe. So like now you're, you're only working partial teams on the yard. And so it's, it's probably moving a little bit slower than it would have otherwise. So now you have increased demand, increased cargo movement, but you have less people there to move it. So that, that kind of contributed to it. And then, as you're kind of kicking the can down this supply chain road, you're getting the drayage drivers coming to pick it up. And so appointments were filling up. And then you're getting the warehouses that are, you know, over capacity. They are just bursting at the seams with all this goods. So then if you can't put it in the warehouse, if you can't take it out of the box, then the box sits full. And then that's a troublesome spot because you need that box for the exports. You know, you need that box for agriculture, U.S. agriculture to be sent back out you know, so that we can kind of balance the trade. So, you know, that it, it all just started to compile on each other. And so as the supply chain generally got more just stressed, of course, the prices were going to go up, you know. And so nobody was more surprised about these billion dollar profits than the ocean carriers themselves, because prior to COVID, they were lucky to break even. And mm-hmm. that is insane to think that they were lucky to make a hundred bucks in a year. Most of the, some of the time they'd, they'd lose money in a year, you know? And, and so part of why alliances were created wasn't just to team up and try to take over the market and be these cartels. They're not allowed to talk about rates. They're only allowed to talk about, well, they're, you know, they're not allowed to talk about rates. They can talk about vessel sharing and operational sharing and some sort of like things that are associated with kind of a better experience for the shipper, which, you know, I think probably a lot of your listeners are probably laughing right now and being like, what is she talking about? Better experience for the shipper. You know, everybody's having such a terrible experience right now, or not everybody, but, you know, it's it's pretty tough out there. But the whole idea was if you get these, if you get these ocean carriers kind of sharing their vessels similar to airlines, if you get these people sharing their vessels so that way, you know, if you need, okay, airlines is a great example. You're going from Chicago down to Fort Worth and you need to get there and you want to go there direct. But the airline that you want to take, Southwest, stops over in Memphis first. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to go to Memphis. So you kind of look around, United. All right, maybe they're part of like an alliance. I don't know. Uh, were they part of Star Alliance or whatever? So now you can go direct. You might not be on United the whole way. You know, like you might not actually be on United, but you book through United. You don't actually care who owns that plane that you're on. That's kind of the same idea that what was happening with the vessels coming together and with the the ocean alliances. They were trying to make it a little more seamless for the customer, for the shipper, to be able to ship their goods from point A to point B, from the warehouse to the U.S. soil. And with so that, that mm-hmm. and with that, not to not to disrupt. Yeah. There's a term for that. What you're describing, mm-hmm. uh, where 
the goods might go onto another vessel that might carry in the, you know, towards the same goal, but it might, it's not, it might not be that same uh, original company or that original steamship. What's that term? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, so, so on, on an airline, it's called code sharing, <laughs> you know, um, on, on a vessel, it's vessel sharing. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's alliance. Um, I'm not exactly sure if that's the, if that's what you're looking for, but. It's something simple. It is something simple. It's just <laughs> something that I know that uh, is definitely something that um, some of the big, you know, steamship carriers, they talk mm-hmm. about on their websites of whether they, uh, if it is something that they actually do or something that they're against. Um, but it's definitely something that's standard in the industry that is yeah. well known. It might be VSA, so Vessel Sharing Agreements, VSAs. Okay, let's go with that for right now. Yeah, and if sure. it pops to me the exact <laughs> jargon, I'm going to throw it out there. Perfect, perfect. But, but I mean, you know, so it's, it's kind of funny to look at the history of, like, the alliance creation because what they are today was not what they were contemplated to be. Or, you know, like, when they, when they wanted to get together, it was to try to make it easier. And now everybody's, you know, you, you benefit from the low prices. They were able to keep the prices low because they could diversify and, you know, they didn't have to take a million different routes. They didn't have five different groups doing the same route. Um, but there's still, you know, there's still three different alliances. They're still competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and at the time, you know, it was because they weren't really making any money, they could be going bankrupt. And so we saw that with, with one of the, uh, with one of the carriers going bankrupt and it was kind of like, which God, carrier? Nope. um, it was, um, the Korean what? carrier. Um, mm, don't get me to line. Okay. Uh, well, let me, what's the, what, I, I, okay. Just, I don't mean to put you on a spot. It's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the whole point was I was going to see if it was a household name. Hanjin, um, Hanjin, it is house. Okay. Hanjin went bankrupt. I, I see. I right. Hyundai, and I just had that. <laughs> I definitely remember seeing those containers in all the different movies back in the day. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. So okay. Hanjin went bankrupt, and it was kind of unheard of that they went bankrupt. And you know, but but part of the idea of everybody kind of forming together in an alliance was like well, maybe we won't go bankrupt because maybe if something happens, we can kind of, you know, like I said, it's not a money sharing thing. It wasn't a rate sharing thing. It was just an operational way so that they could kind of share the operational roots and share that and, and, you know, make it a better experience for the shipper. Right. Okay. And, you know, you brought up, or at least you listed out a couple of the uh, steamships that was on, I guess it was the last Alliance, Mm -hmm. but you said, Costco, and then you mentioned one that was, I believe, uh, based out of Europe. Actually, two based out of Europe. Uh, what was the one? What, who are the other steamship carriers with Costco? Yes. Uh, so Costco, CMA, CGM. Um, that's a French company. Right. Um, and then Evergreen. Yeah, where is Evergreen? I don't know. Um, Evergreen is... Um, I'm basically trying to get to how do they hook up? Like how did the, yeah. like how did they choose you know who's going to be on the on the team? Yeah, you know, so they they kind of reshuffle. They can reshuffle. They've reshuffled through the years for sure. Um, I mean, I'd like to think that they're reshuffling to make sure that they don't take too much market share. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's exactly true. Um, you know, I I think that they've kind of reshuffled as companies have formed and disformed. So one, the pink the pink ships. Um, that was actually the combination of three Japanese carriers. Um, mm. So it was K-Line and, um, oh gosh, who else? I've seen them. Yeah, yep. So, um, yeah, so it's it's kind of like, you know, they, they kind of, it's as the as the industry is kind of shifting around, so is, is um, you know, so it was, it was um, Nippon, um, it was K-Line, and it was Mitsui OSK. Those were the three. Um, so... You know, but, but, and so that's one. So when, when one turned into, when the Ocean Network Express turned into that company, um, you know, maybe that, maybe that necessitated a little shifting of the alliances there too. Um, okay. You know, they don't work in cahoots with each other necessarily. Uh, well, not necessarily. They don't work in cahoots with each other because then that would be monopolistic. And, you know, the FMC, that's their job is to make sure that they're watching this. And so they've come out with some recommendations recently and, and they've been, I mean, they're concerned about this. They're, they're not just a sleepy agency. They want to be there. They're not super fast, but I like that they're not because they're purposeful. They do their due diligence. They make sure that they're not just reacting to things. Um, you know, they, they want a fair amount of like the market does what the market does, 
But like when you start having these detention and demurrage, so that's like that's the the overcharges for your goods sitting on the yard and like if you're charging demurrage but they're not giving you a chance to get your stuff off the yard at the port, that's that's not fair. And the FMC has come out recently and said you can't charge demurrage if there's no opportunity for them to pick it up because the whole point of demurrage is to get you to get your move get you to move your stuff. Right. Letting them move your stuff, then like why are you charging? So, right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I definitely, I agree. I mean, you can't do that. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, so that, so that's it. You know, the FMC's like, there's been a lot of kind of, I guess, uh, feedback on, on some of these reports and, and, you know, saying that the, there's been a lot of commentary saying that alliances are cartels and that alliances are bad. And, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe they're not great. They're still relatively new. I mean, considering, you know, shipping goes back to time itself. Um, you know, it's it's like alliances were only formed in the past 10, 20 years. Oh, yeah, it's very young. It's a yeah. lot of kinks to be worked out. No, exactly. Definitely. So, you know, and, and so the FMC regulatory authority over them still has yet to be kind of fully. They still need probably a little bit more authority over it. But, you know, I mean, it's it's a twofold, right? You don't want the agency, you don't want the federal government to have too much control. But on the other hand, like, if there's no rules around how you're supposed to bill for, okay, so let's just talk about demerge. So demerge is essentially when a container's on a ship and it comes off the ship and it sits on the yard, you get probably like five to seven days of free time. And so it's like, all right, you don't have to show up when the ship gets here, but you get a couple days to get everything in order, make sure everything's cleared, you know, paperwork and billing and payments and all that stuff. And then if you don't pick it up in the free time, the, f- the next five to seven days likely are going to be just kind of like little dings, like, all right, less than 100 bucks, maybe 75 bucks a day. And they're going to say, OK, this is demerge charge. You're going to get per diem daily demerge, 75 bucks a day for about five days. And so, you know, it's kind of like, look, we're, we're just giving you a little nudge. I'd like you to move your things. You know, don't rush, but like I'd like you to move your stuff. And then if you don't pick it up. So now you've had a week of free time. You've had a week of maybe like 75 bucks a day. And then you still haven't picked it up. I mean, we're talking two weeks, over two weeks now. The port, the terminal is going to say, look, we're not a warehouse. We are not your storage yard. This is a transit zone, and we got a lot of ships coming in, and we need that space. So they start to charge $200, $250 a day, which is supposed to be to incentivize you to move your goods. A little bit is supposed to cover your operational costs, obviously, but $250 a day is not operational costs. That is an incentive to, like, get get your stuff out of here. So... That's what's going on. So, like, sometimes the terminals are, are, they don't have appointments open. They don't have, you know, they, they've closed down that section of the yard. And, like, that's not fair. You can't charge somebody to get their stuff off the yard if you're not letting them get the stuff off the yard. And that's what the FMC is kind of diving into and saying you can't do it that way. And so right. there's no real rules right now over when you can charge, you know, when you can and when you can't. But the FMC is starting to find fine-tune those rules and make it a little bit more clear. And there are also, there's no rules on how you invoice. So, like, you have maybe, let's say you have two weeks of demurrage. You get a bill a year later that says 3000 bucks demurrage. And you're like, okay, well, when was this for? Well, I, I, it's not on there, but I think it was March. And you're like, okay, Mar- March when? Like, what, what do you, like, what container? Oh, I don't have the container no. <laughs> how do I know this is real? <laughs> you know? So like, that's, that's what the FMC right now specifically is just trying to like, like I said, incremental steps, trying to just clean it up without taking too heavy of a hand. They're going over invoicing minimum billing practices. You have to include a container number. You have to include the date demerge started, the date demerge ended, you know, like basic stuff, like, you know, so that they know that you're not lying and just sending out $3,000 bills because people will pay them, you know? Right. Oh, well, that does that. It does surprise me that that type of stuff isn't already there. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, any any, I guess us having this conversation is bringing more light to it, and uh, prayerfully, mm-hmm. it's going to do something to push the agenda very fast. Because no, that's that doesn't seem very. Um, that seems very just wrong. Actually, it doesn't right? seem like a good practice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with the FMC, is there like a, a safety side of things too, or is this just more so a business conduct? 
Yeah. So the FMC really is more kind of like the business, the economics, the the kind of overview of of the you know general ocean ocean transit. So you know, there's a couple different agencies that are involved in maritime generally. Obviously, the Coast Guard you're probably familiar with. Um, you know, they do a lot of kind of navigational things. Mm-hmm. Um, they do safety. They do cybersecurity, um, which is really kind of a new area of maritime. Well, new area all around, but um, certainly a new area for maritime. I mean, consider so. of everything, and I'm talking everything, I'm talking the shoes on your feet to the computer and, you know, in front of you to your phone to your, you know, even garlic in your kitchen, 90% of everything goes by ocean transit. And so if it's not domestically made, it's going by ocean transit. And that's 90% of everything. So when you get to numbers like that, you know, it's it's good to have an agency that's kind of watching over it um, and and kind of making sure that 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 all... um, is, is kind of properly business-wise taken care of. But also, if you have a port go down, imagine if we had LA Long Beach go down in the middle of that huge 150 ships offshore backup because they went down because of a cyber incident. I mean, that's that's a big deal. You know, and that's right. 90% of everything. I mean, that's like GDP levels. That's part, I mean, arguably partly why we're feeling so much inflation is because of the congestion. Because the more it costs to ship goods, the more that good's going to cost. Right, um, you know, and and building gas prices for for over the road trucking. I mean, you know, now you're you're talking like ninety percent of everything goes by ocean shipping. One hundred percent of everything goes by truck. You know, right? <laughs> I mean, so so it, that nobody's going to absorb those costs. Those costs get passed on, and and you know that that's where we're at. So so Coast Guard kind of watches, um, you know, that that side of things. You get some some environmental agencies involved in it. You get some. Um, you know, marine affairs areas and, and some kind of ocean agencies. But there, there's a whole bunch that are kind of dabble in different areas. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. That... I should say the most important, the most important sister agency to the Federal Maritime Commission is the Maritime Administration. Um, so the Department of Transportation has a Maritime Administration. So your listeners are probably most familiar with DOT because Correct. of, um, you know, NHTSA, National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, uh, maybe a little bit Surface Transportation Board, STB, um, which they do kind of the regular, so they're an independent regulatory agency, more on the rail side of things, but technically they do kind of everything surface transport. So right. they really are kind of the equivalent parallel agency to the FMC, but on the domestic side. The funny um, thing is, when it comes to domestic uh, transportation, uh, especially when it comes to fleets, owner operators, and uh, things of that nature, it's FMCSA. It's right? the mm-hmm. yeah. So we're, we're <laughs> close, but you know that's the safety administration that makes all the regulations that the trucking companies have to adhere to. Um, so you know it's just, it is it is a lot of organizations that are geared towards safety, which is what kind of inspired the question. You know FMC mm-hmm. for you know, uh, Federal Maritime Commission, I was going to say, well, is it FMCSA, if there's a safety portion of that, kind of similar. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate you going into that. You did mention LA, LA Long Beach, and all the, the good stuff that was happening out there when, uh, you know, it was it was a lot of visibility, so much so that uh, President Biden said, hey, we're going to make those ports 24-7. Um, you know, that was like October, I believe, of last year. Do you know how that kind of, you know, have you been keeping up with that? Yeah, so, I mean, it kind of had mixed results. Um, I don't know if, you know, maybe a few of them went 24-7, but, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's tough because it's like even if you have everything open, where's all that stuff going to go? The warehouses mm-hmm. were full. You know, I mean, you can't just solve we all know it's a supply chain. It's not a supply link. You know, like it's not just one piece that matters. You can't just solve one piece and kick the can. And, you know, respectfully to the president, like that was just solving one piece and really was it solving it. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, great. Okay. We want them working all the time, but like people are still people, you know I mean? You can't, I don't know. It, it, it just felt like it wasn't connected to the rest of the story and the rest of the story is the warehouses were so full. We didn't have enough chassis. So, you know, so we talked about these are boxes on the ship and they're specifically boxes. They're not boxes with wheels. And, you know, I mean, over the road trucking has 53 footers. And those those wheels are for the most part attached to the, that box. The boxes that go on ocean transit are not 53 footers. They're 40 foot and 20 foot and they don't have any wheels on them. They're made to be clunked around on a vessel. 
and they get cam locked in. So like they, they have little holes on each corner and you camp, you, you, you lock them in. And at that point, um, you know, once they get to the shore, they need wheels. And so that's the chassis that they sit on. They sit on these chassis. So not only do we need, you know, like the driver to pull it, we need some wheels to go underneath it to be able to pull it. And so if there's no chassis available, you're, you're out of luck, you know. Um, if there's no driver available, you're out of luck. And now all of a sudden you got a box sitting on a chassis with no driver and nowhere to go when really that chassis could have been, you know, two boxes down because that driver's here and they're ready to go. So, you know, it, you start to get into like all the, it's like a logic problem. There, you start to get into all these like, well, if you have X, Y, and Z, but you put Z and Y together, but X is still sitting there, it's like, wow, like, doesn't make sense, you know? So mm. you get the 24 hours. It was a great idea. And this is where they started building in the Port Envoy um, to try to make sense of it all, to try to bring everybody together. And so we had previously John Picari. So the Port Envoy is a new position, and it's from the president's office, as I understand it. It seems like it's a liaison position. And so what they're trying to do with this position is really connect, um, you know, connect have somebody be the the kind of ringleader. Have somebody be the person that that really puts it all together, puts all the pieces together. Um, and so, you know, I, it it was a great idea. It's a great idea in, in creation. Um, I think John Picari did some some good things. Um, but you know, so he he stepped down, and now we have retired General um, Steve Lyons, who is a former commander of the U.S. Transportation Command, so U.S. Transcom. I I think I'm hopeful. I, I'm not exactly sure what his role will continue to be because he's not coming from an agency. You know, he's not coming from, um, you know, he's coming from the administration and he's kind of there as like a mediator, a liaison, trying to help make sure that everything kind of pulls together well. Um, but, you know, he's from DOD. He, you know, he's from um, military and I love that. And he's from Transportation Command. So, I mean, who's who better at logistics than the military, you know? So having him come in and have that kind of black and white, that, um, you know, that military discipline of, of logistics. I mean, he's from the logistics side and he's the liaison to, like I said, the administration's supply chain disruptions task force. So they created a whole task force. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I think, you know, if, if anybody can really kind of dive in there and help, I, I really like his, his chances for it. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Um, I yeah. appreciate you, you bringing that up. I mean, I just prayed that you know, with him, he brings in uh, the folks who are really interested in implementing uh, new technologies, innovations, things that, uh, you know, if we're talking about disruptors um, being welcome, that completely do away with the paper aspect of things. And so, you know, that's just something that I, I'm just talking about um, with you. You know, I don't have to go into it, but I just know that with the way technology is and the way that I'm seeing even domestic truckload and all that kind of stuff go, that's definitely something that's possible. So um, if it can, if it can start earlier, if it can start at the origin and make its way all the way through electronically, um, you know, I do think that would be a, a very seamless uh, process. And I think it would speed up a lot of things. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I totally, I totally understand kind of the, the fear of automation. You know, I mean, we, we, um, there were some some stories recently about some automation that was happening in the in the ocean world, but you know the, the, the bottom line is you shouldn't have better visibility into where your pizza is than where your than where a company's you know couple hundred thousand dollars or million dollar goods are you know and that's the difference. I mean you can you can order from Domino's and know when it's going in the oven. I mean that's like that's where I'd love to see it get on the cargo side because right now you kind of go into a black hole for a couple weeks or a couple days or however long, you know, like when it's in the ocean somewhere, you don't really know where it is. And maybe they might scan it when they get into, you know, Singapore or they, they're moving to a different port or whatever. But like, there just are kind of these black hole moments that you wait and you wait. Nobody really can tell you because it's part of a box that's mixed with other goods. And, you know, to have that visibility and I don't need to know, what's in there. I don't need to know that Target ordered patio equipment, you know, like it, but if, if Target were to say, maybe I don't even need to know that it's Target. I just want to know, like we have container numbers, but even that isn't consistent across all of the chains of the supply chain. If there was some identifier that we could give to like, this is box 398 and this box will continue to be called 398 the entire way. 
It gets packed over in Asia. You know, 398 gets assigned, comes through, gets to the port, still 398, gets over to the where, you know, gets on a drage truck. It's still 398. Maybe there's a QR code to it. And so now you know that it's sitting on with a dray, like, you know, it's being pulled over to the warehouse. That would be great. So like, okay, I know it. I know it's cleared. So if you get some bogus request for an invoice from the port, you know, well, it's not even at the port anymore, you know, or like if you get some bogus invoice from the ocean carrier, you're like, well, I know it's not even with you. So there's just so much confusion with where things are that if we can clean that up, I mean, it doesn't even need to give out secrets of business and who's doing what. Just we just need a little more visibility into, you know, where the goods are. Like, where are they? Um, they shouldn't go into like black holes. And, and unfortunately, that's what happens. Um, right. You know, should we automate everything? That's a different conversation. This is just all I, you know, all I think is like email was scary at first and it's not scary anymore. Like we can, we can get there. Like it shouldn't be so cumbersome that you need to be PDFing things and stringing together emails to figure out if not only if you have all the right documentation, but like if you can even figure out who has, who has control or, or, um, you know, uh, where your stuff is. Right. Right. Well, let me ask this, you know, in your day to day, um, you know, how do, how do uh, organizations like NDOCCs like pop up? Like, do you talk to them directly? Do you have to have any interaction? Do you consult folks who have to use them? Do you consult them? Yeah. So NVOCCs and freight forwarders, I mean, they're certainly some of my clients, you know, as they're, they, you know, NVOCCs and freight forwarders um, have some FMC licensing requirements. And so when they do, um, you know, they, they're, they're more, you're more than happy, more than welcome to call me and, and let's figure out, you know, what kind of licenses you need. If you're, if you, if you need a license, if you don't, what kind of business you're doing, you know, um, if you have questions about detention and demurrage, if some of these new rules apply to you, I mean, that's where, um, you know, every, it's every, every person, every business has their own kind of set of questions. And, and that's where, I mean, obviously loving this industry anyways, I just have a passion to find out more. And so when people ask me that question, different questions, I'm like, that's a really good question. I don't know. I've never thought of it that way. Or, you know, fortunately more often it's, yep, I, I know, I know exactly what you're asking. I'm going to put it into, into a, a memo so that you know what it means, or I'm just going to explain it to you. This is how you solve that problem. So, I mean, yeah, I, I love working with NVOCCs and freight forwarders because of, you know, that, that reason, because if they have an ocean piece of it, there, there's some FMC compliance things that they need to be aware of. And, you know, the FMC, even though it's coming more into the forefront these days, as kind of people are getting more aware of it, their regulations have always, you know, applied. And so compliance with the FMC, whether you're compliant now or you're not compliant, you don't get caught. That's not to say they're never going to catch you because, like I said, they're not super quick, uh, but they are purposeful and they are thorough. And so, um, you know, they do have a Bureau of Enforcement and and they, they're, they're going through all their records and making sure everybody's doing the right thing because, that's what keeps the ocean cargo movement fair and efficient is, you know, good actors doing good things. Well, awesome. 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 Okay. Um, well, yeah, I do. I do want to talk more with some NDOCCs on this platform soon, just because I don't know if everybody understands what they do. Um, do you have a, a good, do you have a good understanding of what an NDOCC is and what they do? Yeah. So, I mean, so you have freight forwarders and you have NVOCC. So, you know, essentially, so NVOCC, a non-vessel operating common carrier. So, you know, it's, it's generally freight forwarders and, and NVO. So, all right, let's, let's back it up. Ocean transportation intermediaries is what a freight forwarder and an NVOCC are. So they are ocean transportation intermediaries. They don't own the vessel and they're not the owner of the goods. They're the intermediary. I've heard it described as they're the travel agent. And so they're helping you to book your cargo, to move your cargo, to figure out, you know, they're kind of the insiders and they know the game. And so they know where to book it and who to book it. And, you know, they can get your rates and they can do all that stuff. And so, um, so that, that's their role in the industry there. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people don't understand that, uh, or, let me take a step back because this is the part that I really wanted to talk about to see if there was any type of um, agreements between NVOCCs and maybe organizations like Project 44 where uh, the NVOCC, the people who have reserved the space on that tanker, 
and they're essentially brokering out those different spaces for containers that are containing goods, obviously. Uh, could that MBOCC communicate directly with Project 44 to like give better you know, um, visibility to which company actually has a container on that, which company actually is utilizing um, a container and, you know, maybe some way of, you know, utilizing their increase, you know, their, their, their Mm -hmm. supreme technology in the visibility space, because, you know, you said that there were some, some, some blackouts, some black, some, some, Mm -hmm black holes um in in that in that chain of origin to destination but i know that project 44 is a leader in that space so i'm I'm wondering like how we could actually get away from or you know kind of like make a more robust system so that they don't exist in the first place yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I think it's always going to, I think ocean transportation and numerators are always going to be kind of important because it's, you know, you, you might maybe not always need to transport your goods, but you're going to need to be able to go to the local, I mean, not not this, but the local UPS. I mean, what if you couldn't go to the local UPS, but you had to source, you know, a truck to move all your stuff? I mean, so that's kind of the the, the general, I mean, your your audience knows that. So, um, so I mean, wh- so visibility in the supply chain, visibility including ocean it's there's a bunch of different stuff happening here, and I think it's yet to be kind of determined where the parameters, where the guardrails are going to end up here for the FMC. Um, you know, the, they've been talking about um, freight market platforms, and you know, it's it's part of their discussion. They have a maritime transportation data initiative, so the MTDI um, is being led by one of the commissioners. So the, the Federal Maritime Commission has five commissioners. There's a chairman, and then there's four. Um, regular commissioners. And so um, politically, it's three of one party, two of the other. And so usually the party in power of the presidency has the, the party, you know, majority of the agency. And so one of those commissioners, um, Commissioner Carl Benzel, is has been hosting these weekly meetings through basically December through April about transportation and, and transportation data and how visibility can come into the world of supply chain and the ocean supply chain and also how how do we regulate it and and like i said they don't like to have a heavy hand but they do want to make sure that it stays fair i i like to think that the fmc provides guardrails but not rigid like kind of driving lines if that makes sense they want to make sure you're not going off the road but they still want to have winners and losers and so they've been really diving into the transportation data initiative looking at, well, what information do we know already? What's out there? Who knows what and who's being protective about it? Or maybe not even protective. Who knows what and who needs to know what? And so every week they would have a different category. They might have ocean carriers. They might have NVOCCs. They might have government agencies. They might have, um, you know, Project 44. They might have some sort of a, a tech company come in, a visibility-facing tech company. And so they they all said kind of, what do you know and what do you need to know? And so that's what Commissioner Bensel is trying to do is combo those. Figure out, okay, well, this company needed piece of information B, C, and D, and the other company had X, Y, Z. They they need what each other has. Let's let's pair them together. Um, so I think, you know, while they're still kind of working out the kinks here, I think this is kind of a really, really cool initiative that Commissioner Bensel's been doing. Because it's really trying to connect the dots of what we already know. You know, it's it's not necessarily people being protective with their information. It's just not really knowing where to get it from. And so, um, you know, as as Project 44 and, and some of the Freitos, you know, some of these other kind of tech-sided things um, are coming about, I, I think that there's a space for them to enter in. And the FMC is going to be watching just to make sure that they're not taking advantage. And that's not to imply that anybody is, but like, you know... You want all businesses to be able to do well and to thrive, and and likewise, you know, if they're not doing well, you, you that's part of the 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 circle of life, if you will, of of business. But um, you know, I, I think the FMC is kind of keeping a watch on it to see is this something that they should be regulating? Is this something that they need to be more regulatory over? Um, you know, I, I think that this is a really interesting space. Okay, okay, you know, so with the FMC, you know, we've been talking about it. Do you feel like they have the oversight for you know some of those newer things that just took place um namely the hyundai uh autonomous vessel that recently did the 
you know, had their own long pilgrimage uh, of, you know, the auto, you know, basically there was, it was unmanned. Somebody, men were up there, folks were on it, but Mm -hmm. it was basically being guided by itself. Um, Is that something that the FMC would be regulating? Yeah, so so not really. So that would actually be more likely to be Coast Guard regulated. Um, okay. And actually, on the international sense, that would be the International Maritime Organization, the IMO. Um, so the IMO is kind of the International Maritime Safety and Operations, um, you know, agency. So we're all kind of familiar with the UN, the United Nations, as being kind of this. It's not a regulating body necessarily of the world, but it's it's kind of like the the international. Um, you know, type of organization. Um, the IMO is similar to that, but it's kind of for the purpose of safety and operations. Um, you know, one of the major things that the IMO is in charge of is safety of life at sea, SOLAS, and that came about after the Titanic. So, you know, it, they, they've been doing some things that kind of make sense in that space. Um, but so the autonomous vessels are interesting because when you first think about it, you're just imagining basically like remote controlled vessels out there on the ocean. And like, if you've ever seen a container ship or, a, a, you know, this was an LNG vessel, if you've ever seen any of these huge ships out there, like, they're not small. They're huge. Mm-hmm. And you can't even, I mean, imagine being on a cruise ship and being like, that one has no driver. <laughs> like, right. I, I don't think we're going to get to that point. I don't think we're going to have, like, driverless vessels out there. But then again, I mean, I guess I didn't really think we'd get driverless cars. But I don't think we have fully driverless cars. You still have to be there. It's just that, like autopilot is available and i think that's the way that we're moving in the middle of the ocean when you have your radar on and you know nobody's around if you put on autopilot but you still have somebody standing there next to the helm okay i think that makes some sense you know or the same way that you might if you you're on your own boat or whatever and you have your gps up and it tells you or google maps it tells you the most direct way to get there and now you're going to have some fuel efficiency because you didn't take that extra right turn that like you've always historically took. But now that you did Google Maps, you saw it actually you, there's a faster route. You know, I think that that's what we're going to see. I mean, basically, the, the, the world oceans is like we went from not really having Google Maps to having Google Maps through this autonomous platform or software. Um, I think that's where we're going to see some benefit. Are we going to see self-driving vessels? No. Are we going to maybe see reduced mariners on board? Maybe, because, you know, we, we also had a mariner crunch. We had a mariner um, crisis during COVID that didn't get as much attention as it deserved. We had people on vessels six months, nine months, a year. They couldn't get off because they either were being quarantined or they couldn't get off in ports to hop on planes to fly home because the world had shut down. I mean, they were stuck. They were basically stuck on these vessels for extremely too long, and that became a humanitarian crisis that really kind of went under the radar. Wow! Wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man. Um, I I'm just happy that uh, that we're able to bring some attention to it right now because Jesus, uh, I couldn't imagine. I could not imagine at all. I mean, everybody was stuck at home, but what about the people that were stuck on the vessels? You know, I mean, that's, right. that's the piece of it, because somebody's got to be driving those ships. and, and Somebody, stuff. definitely. I mean, I never thought about it in that capacity. I mean, I've even, mm-hmm. you know, in my time being abroad, I've, I've met merchant marines, you know, so I know the folks that used to be on the ships, and I never considered them, uh, you know, at, during any of this time any of this. So I appreciate you uh, bringing some attention to that. Yeah, I mean, that's it. So sometimes their rotations are out there on on vessel for maybe three months, you know, and so, okay, you sign up for three months, a pandemic ensues, and nobody's letting your ship into port. Right. You're afraid Mm. of what's going on on board, you know, and there was no testing, there was no anything, and and vaccines, same thing. You're a mariner, you're not going to be at the same port two to three weeks later to get your second shot, you know, like, how can you be fully vaxxed if you can, if you can't even go back to the same place two to three weeks later, you know, whatever, I forget what the rules were, what you like, you get one Moderna shot and three weeks later, you had to come back and get your second shot for the first right. round. So like, you know, you, you couldn't do that. And, and do you take it on the vessel and try to maintain it? And you, you know, if you have a certain number of people, then you have a doctor on board, but under a certain number, you don't. And so most of them really don't. So how do you do, how do you solve that? And that, those were the real world scenarios. Like, so you're an unvaxxed, so you can't come into port, but you need to go to port to get your vax. Like, how how do you 
it was it was pretty messed up for a while. Yeah, no, I, I can I can definitely see it, and I you know I'm still on the emotional side of things because I remember being in Afghanistan, and you know I wasn't you know I was there working a job, uh, but I could I just know how I was feeling, counting down the days mm-hmm. that I was it was going to be before I was able to get on that plane and come back home, and you know meeting merchant marines who were also in that situation, um, and you know to be told that you can't. <laughs> Go home. You got to stay in this situation that, you know, it's probably awful in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm still there. So. I can tell you how long. Yeah, yeah, without any real answers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I, I just, yeah, my heart goes out to those folks right now. Yeah, so, yeah. Thank you for your service, by the way. That's so awesome. Oh, no, no. See, here's the thing. I was working a job. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was working a job. Good. Well, thank you for working the job. It's really important, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I have to be sure that I tell, you know, but yep. I was out there with folks who were in the military, like, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we're going off on a tangent now, but before I went to Afghanistan, you know, I I was a person that, you know, I kind of understood how people get mad at each other, get in fight and all that kind of good stuff. But after seeing what our service men and women had to do to protect us and, you know, them always being with with arms and having to go out uh, outside of the perimeter of where I was. And I just knew the type of things that they were going through. I had a different respect for just mm-hmm. people as a whole. You know, I'm a. I'm a completely different person now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. happy with my, my experience there. I think it's mm-hmm. shaped me to be a, a more compassionate person. Um, but, yeah, no, no, no. I, I saw what they were doing, uh, and I don't need to go back to Afghanistan. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to go back to Afghanistan. Um, so, yeah, but that's that. Um, so with you, you there's a service that you guys, that you offer, you know, with the um, – I'm a, I'm a position it like this when it comes to new entrants into um, the the trucking industry, they have to pass a safety audit um, that is conducted by the FMCSA. All right. Now, I know that you have the ability to kind of coach people through uh, a mock audit when it comes to the Federal Maritime Commission. But what does that really look like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so situationally specific. And, you know, I'm sure that that kind of relays on the transport or on the surface transport side of things, too. Um, you know, it's so specific to like, well, what are you trying to do? You know, wh- what goods are you trying to move? What, um, you know, do you have experience? They have qualified individuals that are required, you know, for certain different levels. Are you based in the U.S.? Are you based foreign? Um, you know, th- there's there's a whole slew. So really, I mean, you know, it's kind of, taking all of those different variables, taking all those different factors and helping people understand what are you supposed to be doing? What are you, you know, who do you need to kind of be reporting to? What information are you supposed to be filing? Are you doing it correctly? Um, That sort of thing. Um, You know, and and really sometimes it's not even as, as granular as like licensing, but like it's, you know, so you're a port and you have to create your tariff. And so your tariff is your price list. And so it's, it's, am I doing this right? Is this, you know, compliant with what the FMC wants to do or wants, wants to see? And then getting back to detention and demurrage, you know, like, so that port, they, you know, they have to charge demurrage because otherwise people just leave their stuff on the yard all the time. Um, but it's like, are you gut checking that? Do you have like a rationale for why you do demurrage for the amount of money that you do? Can you kind of justify how long you have, um, given these vessels or, or these um, these shippers that have left their goods there? And then do you have a dispute mechanism? So, like, if somebody's like, look, for X number of reasons, like, I couldn't make it because my, you know, I don't know, let's just say the license, the they were under review for, for it was a, um, I don't know, ship, a fish company or a shellfish company or something. And, and for whatever reason, they got caught up in an international trade dispute. And so they weren't allowed to go get the box, but it sat there and it sat there and it sat there. And now here you have, you know, what frozen shellfish sitting in this re- refrigerated container box Perfect. in the yard. It's been there for, you know, forever. It feels like it's been there for two, a month and a half and you're getting up to your like expiration date. 
I'll tell you, that port does not want that shellfish. Like, they don't want it. They don't want it to go bad. They want the customer to be able to pick it up. And so what happens is sometimes terminals will have a dispute mechanism. So if you are like, I need to email so-and-so, and I need to tell them this is what happened. I'm so sorry. You might be able to get your demerge reduced. And that's kind of, you know, there is there a fairness factor? Is there a way that that owner of the goods can, like, get the number down? Because you hit a point where it costs more to release that container from jail than it does for the goods inside the container. So at that point, the port or the terminal, whomever, is dealing with abandonment. And so if you have that shipper just say, you know, I'm just going to write it off. This is a loss. Now you're stuck with a with a refrigerated container full of shellfish that's about to go bad. I'll tell you, the port <laughs> wants to deal with that. Like, they don't want to get thrown into the shellfish world, you know, with two weeks turnaround time. They want to work with, um, you know, or, or I'd like to think that they'd want to work with, um, you know, that that beneficial cargo owner, that, that owner of the goods, that shipper, to get that stuff moving. And so that's, that's where I like to come in and, and kind of help is like, let's think through this. Do you have, you know, if the FMC were to come ask you questions, do you have some good reasoning? Do you have some good rationale? And kind of gut checking it like, well, you know, so they asked me, Lauren, what, what types of things are they looking for? Well, I can't tell you exactly, but in general, here's what they look for. They look for, you know, they look for, like I said, do you have some sort of mechanism for dispute if somebody has a problem? Or do you have, you know, some sort of fairness factor? And that's kind of, that's really it. It comes down to the fair and efficient movement of goods. And that's really how the FMC works. And so it's kind of a gut check back. Is this fair? Does this increase efficiency? Right, right. Well, I love it, man. I definitely love it. Uh, I feel as though I've gotten uh, to to look behind the veil, uh, cool. which is maritime and how uh, transportation and the things that I have going on kind of intersect with, uh, you know, what you have going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I did want to just say thank you. I wanted to see if anyone uh, that was listening had any questions. If you do, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. Um, but you know, Lauren, I did just want to say thank you very much for your time, ma'am. Thank you. This was so fun. This was great. I, you know, I really enjoyed chatting with you. I'd love to be back. I think this was really fun and certainly I hope your audience enjoyed it. It looked like we got a, a, a good couple chats in the, in the comments section. So that's great. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I think uh, it's going to be very informative, you know, especially even on the replay when people are listening to it after the fact. Um, so yeah, and no, I, I enjoyed the conversation. I know that you are very passionate about this industry <laughs> and, uh, I'm sure that as you know, I grow in my, my global supply chain, uh, that I'll be interested in, uh, bringing it back up so that we can talk about some new policies, new regulations that are surrounding automation, autonomous, you know, vessels and, you know, maybe some of the ways in which, um, they're going to, with that new leadership, going to more, you know, streamline what that process really looks like. So, totally. yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely have you back as the subject matter expert for that. And, uh, you know, I did, I don't know if I have any questions, so I'm just going to go ahead and uh, turn off the hand raising. Um, but, Lauren, is there anything that you wanted to say to close out the room? No, I mean, that's, that's it. I really, you know, I really enjoyed chatting today. You know, I'm all about trying to break down those silos. So, you know, if I can be a service, if, you know, like I said, I got the two companies because not everybody has a legal question and sometimes you just want to know more. So, you know, if, if you want a little business coaching, that's non-legal or, you know, follow my, uh, go to the maritimeprofessor.com. That's where I'm going to be pulling all of my e-content learning. It's going to be kind of like courses and you can pick and choose and mix and match. And I'll have the essential guide as kind of the 101 briefer mini course. But, you know, if you want to learn more about, you know, maybe you want to learn more about the alliances. I'm going to, I'm going to create a course that has a more in-depth look at the alliances. And, you know, maybe you're just somebody who's in logistics and you just want to know more. You want to be more educated. You want to be in your, your, your business meetings and kind of being able to chat. And, you know, if they talk about alliances, they talk about the different ocean carriers you know what they're talking about. And, you know, like it's, it's, that's what I want to provide is a little bit more clarity because, you know, we've talked about this before. You just got to translate it. Like sometimes it's so foreign. We're all talking about the same thing, but there's five different ways to say it. Nobody wins if you do that, you know? So like, 
that's what I want to do is try to find those parallels, try to bring it all together, you know, try to have the ocean people care about what the drayage people are doing, which cares about what the warehouse is doing. You know, I mean, we, we all are consumers at some point. So like we all benefit from goods moving and we all benefit from fair, efficient movement of goods because that keeps the prices low. And, you know, and until we get some control over this congestion and, and some of these supply chain problems and equipment and all that, and I think it's starting to level out, you know, we're just going to keep having these these elevated prices, at least in part, not totally, but in part because of, of the, the congestion problems. So, but, you know, if, if anybody has any legal questions or, or non-legal questions or, um, you know, actually I'm, I'm recruiting for a um, I'm recruiting on, on behalf of a port, uh, a southern inland port. So if anybody's interested in a director of operations position, reach out to me. You know, um, I'm, uh, you know I, I do a little bit of executive recruiting, and, and that's part of the Maritime Professor. But if nothing else, feel free to f- casually follow me on Fridays at 1 p.m. It's on my LinkedIn, streams out to my YouTube, streams out to my Twitter. Um, YouTube is by Land and by Sea. Twitter is the, Mar- at Mar- the Maritime Prof. Um, I'd love to have you join. I, I, I just really enjoy conversations and engaging with people and keeping that conversation going. So no question is too small. No question is, well, sometimes questions are too big, but you know what? Let's let's break it apart. Let's dive into it. <laughs> I love this industry, and, and I just want to share that with people. Definitely, definitely. Well, again, I appreciate you for joining us today. And uh, everybody, uh, thank you for the continued support. I truly appreciate it. Uh, check us out on Monday. We are going to be doing the uh, session with Freight Waves, like just like every other Monday at 7.30 a.m. Um, it is going to be uh, utilizing Sonar, which is their trucking tool. Uh, well, it's not a trucking tool. It's their analytics tool that kind of uh, points out the areas where we want to position our trucks so that we're in, that we're able to take advantage of the best rates and avoid the areas that are you know, slumping, uh, they call them loose markets. Um, and then next week, uh, I am going to be able to provide a lot of dispatch information, uh, because we're going to be bringing on Ashley Baker, um, and shout out to Desi. I appreciate you brothers for that, uh, recommendation. Uh, um, so yeah, I'll just see you guys next week. And if there's anything I can do for you in the meantime, please just feel free to reach out to me. All right. God bless y'all. Uh, Have a good one, Lauren. Thanks, Jory. Thanks so much. Uh, No doubt.